Thank you to Wildcare and Wildlife Acoustics for sponsoring the Bat Chat podcast. Can you hear that? We can. Wildlife Acoustics creates the world's leading bat acoustic monitoring tools, designed to help scientists make impactful discoveries for our biologically diverse planet, turning this into this. Visit wildlifeacoustics.com to learn more. Wildcare are committed to supporting the ecology industry and are specialists in supplying a large range of monitoring, conservation and habitat management products, as well as equipment hire and service and repair. With a large range of products coupled with friendly and expert help and advice, Wildcare is a favourite supplier for ecologists nationwide. Go to wildcare.co.uk to see the full range and quote BatChat at the checkout for 10% off all bat detectors and bat boxes. Hello and welcome to the final episode of Series 1 of BatChat. Series 2 is in the making and there's more information on that at the end of this episode. We've got two guests for you this week. As we head towards the summer, the helpline at the Bat Conservation Trust is preparing for another busy season of taking thousands of calls from the general public who have found an injured bat or want more information on the bats living in their house. Now, the coronavirus pandemic has of course affected us too, and so this first interview with Hannah was conducted last week over the phone whilst in lockdown. Hannah, can you just introduce yourself to listeners at home and sort of how long have you been working at BCT, how did you get into the role, etc.? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Hannah, I'm one of the helpline managers. I've been working on the helpline in some way or another for almost five years now. I actually started the role, um, well, I started on the team as a seasonal member of staff in summer, I want to say summer 2015, and I've taken various jobs on the helpline since then. And I'm now one of the co-managers. So we manage a team, sometimes it's six of us, sometimes there's 12 of us, um, doing everything helpline. Um, I got into bats um, through my local bat group, actually, always interested in um, wildlife generally. And then I went on a uh, bat box check with the London bat group and held a nocturne. And it was just the most exciting moment of my life. I looked into his little eyes, saw his glossy ginger fur, and I was in love. Um, you know, so that's what it's like, isn't it? It's, it that moment, you, um, you fall in love and don't turn back. So that's me now. And are you still involved with London Bat Group or are you very much just BCT now? Well, I have been quite involved at points. Um, I was on the committee for a while and a trustee. I was actually one of the joint chairs as well. I've had to take a step back for the meantime, just while I've got some other commitments on. But I'm keen to get back out there as soon as I can, really. So for listeners at home who don't really know what the helpline does, because um, I must admit when I first started started Batwick, it was quite complicated because it does all sorts of things. Can you just explain what sort of things the helpline actually does? We're a team that takes about 15,000 inquiries a year from members of the public, bat workers, people who have found bats, people who have got a bat roost, all kinds of things um, over the year. So essentially we're kind of the first port of call for answering inquiries about bats. Um, a lot of that will be people who have found bats, um, you know, out and about where they shouldn't be. Mm. So either they're injured or um, perhaps they're orphaned or really dehydrated um, or quite commonly, actually, they've been caught by a cat. So they call us up wanting to know what to do with this little bat that they found that needs rescue. Um, but we also in- 
answer a lot of inquiries about people who have bat roosts. So particularly in England, we advise people on, on what that means to have a bat roost and the legal protection that bats are afforded in their roosts and what that means for a homeowner, for example, you know, if you've got bats in your loft, can you do your, um, you know, your roofing work or your timber treatment? We provide that advice on behalf of Natural England. Um, so those are the two big bits of work that we do. But to be honest, we also get other bits um kind of anything under the sun we've had people calling to find out what's the biggest wingspan of a bat in the world or um anything bat related they'll call us and we're there to help as far as we can so when people do find a, a grounded or injured bat what's the actual process obviously you take that call is it somebody from bct that goes out or then is it is it other people that go and do that sort of stuff so what we'll do on the helpline is provide the best advice we can give about the first aid for the bat, for the member of the public to do themselves. So what that often means is um, containing it into a box, getting it some water and something to hide under, like a tea towel, and making sure the member of the public knows to never hold a bat with bare hands. And then what we'll do is put them in touch with a local volunteer on the UK Bat Care Network. And these are people all over the UK who rescue bats in their own time you know with their own equipment and that sort of thing who've said that we can give their numbers out so where possible we'll try and put those two people in contact um so the volunteer bat carer will uh talk to the person with the bat work out what's best for the bat they might actually advise that the bat's better off being released or they might take it into care themselves and you know feed it up help it get over any injuries that it's um got a lot of the time when bats have been caught by cats they'll need a special treatment um they essentially just make sure the bat is sort of happy and healthy and able to look after itself in the wild and then release it back. So how many volunteers do you have at your disposal on the database then? So on the network, there's, uh, I want to say, almost 400. Um, there can be individuals who sort of just do it on off their own back, but we also have um, ambulance drivers, so people who work closely with rehabilitators to ferry bats from one place to another. And um, some back groups will also have regional helplines where they sort of self-organised about how best they like to take those calls. Um, and for a whole county, there might be one contact who then sort of divvies them out as appropriate. Um, I actually can't remember the final number. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a few hundred. So how many calls do you reckon the helpline receives during the average summer then? In the busiest days in July, say, we could take sort of 150 calls a day. So a good few thousand in the summer. We take on a few extra people in May to help us with the increased sort of inquiry volumes. Um, when we're at our largest, there's about 10 of us in the room at any one time. Phone's going off quicker than we can answer a lot of the time as well, but uh, we do our best. So what's the most usual cause for bats being grounded? So a lot of the time it will be the cat has brought in a bat because um, cats are really good at catching bats. They might not even eat it. Um, they just like to play with them and, you know, it's a fun game for them. A lot of the time if a cat has found a bat roost and it's accessible to them, you know, maybe if they're sitting on the garage roof or the extension roof, for example, they can really easily just bat bats out of the air with their paws and they'll take one after the other. And that's a fun game for them. And as you know, cats often like to bring presents back to their owners. So people will find injured bats on the doorstep or in the mouths of their cats. That's really, really common, especially in the summer. Um, a lot of the other calls we get are bats that have just got dehydrated or, um, you know, they're skinny. 
And then in the summer, when the babies are born, we get quite a few calls about uh, babies that have got lost. Um, either they'll have been dropped by mum when she's sort of flown around and it's got too heavy and, and the baby's dropped off, or the baby has gone for a little wander because they're quite mischievous like that and they get lost away from their roost um, and that sort of thing. Sometimes a bit later in the summer as well, we get juveniles making their first flight, well, what we imagine is their first flight, and either they get lost or they get too tired or they can't you know, can't find their way back into the roost properly and they find themselves in a position where they need rescuing. And do you find that the public are generally grateful when one of those volunteers comes out and, and saves them from their from their bat? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've found that um, bat rescue is one really important way that uh, members of the public can engage with bats. So quite often finding a bat is, you know, the, the first experience they've even had with bats in the UK. Um, so having that close-up experience is really, really exciting and unusual and quite rare and then getting in touch with a volunteer where they can understand what's going to happen next with the bat people love knowing if it's a boy or a girl you know they'll name it and that sort of thing and what's wrong with it will it get released they love knowing all of that sort of thing um and what's really special as well is when um the bat's healthy and it can be released if the volunteer does that with the person who found it you know they might go back into the garden together and they can all release it together um we've started surveying people who find the bats to find out what their experience calling a helpline is like. And we've found that the um, the results are showing that people absolutely love that sort of experience and, and um, learning so much from the volunteers that help them. And what's the most unusual call out you've had so far? Well, we get many, many unusual ones, including um, a couple here and there where they've not actually been bats at all. So um, when people join the helpline, they hear all of these stories of, oh, you know, I've heard a story about someone calling about a Cornish pasty that they uh. thought was a bat. And um, I actually, on my first summer on the helpline, got a call from a lady who's really, really scared, really terrified. She was unable to go anywhere near the bat. She ended up actually calling the RSPCA because of that. And it turned out to be a snail on the ceiling. Nice. And so, how unusual. Those ones are always give us a good laugh. And if people want to get involved and either help out with the helpline or or actually volunteer to be one of those ambulance drivers or actually care for the bats themselves, what's the best way to, to find out more information about doing that? So you can definitely look on our website, um, www.bats.org.uk. Um, there are a few different ways you could get involved. So we use um, the help of volunteers in the summer to man these calls on evenings and weekends and you could absolutely get involved in that um so contact the helpline to find out more um we give all of the training that you'd need and it's done from your own home uh but if you are sort of more interested in the physical rescuing side of things it's best to join your local bat group and find out what kind of bat care activities are going on there and it might be that you can get in contact with a trainer who can either teach you how to care for bats yourself or um help you get to the stage where you're able to be an ambulance driver for them. So alongside volunteering, um, another thing they could do is donate to the helpline. Um, a lot of our work is unfunded. So the back care work, for example, answering those calls, giving people first aid advice and putting them in touch with volunteers, that's all unfunded and completely reliant on public donations and public support. So, um, yeah, every little helps. And can people donate online? Yes, absolutely. We've got a Just Giving page and all of that information is available on our website. Cool. We'll stick it in the show notes of this podcast episode. Thank you. So 
if you could tell people one thing before they even picked up the phone to call obesity, what would it be? Well, it might be a good idea to have a look at our website first. Lots of common questions people have about bats are answered online. Um, and then if it's a sort of bat care situation, uh, one thing I really want them to know is that they should always wear gloves if risking about. And then the other thing is that we're here to help. You know, that's our job. We're here. We're available to answer any questions and sort of address any concerns that people have. Um, that's what we're there for. So, you know, do call us, pick up the phone. Something we're asking everyone on the podcast to do is to describe the bat conservation movement in three words, which I know I'm just throwing you this at the last minute. <laughs> what three words would you choose? I would say inspiring, dedicated and mm, imaginative. The, the amounts of you know different ways that people do bat conservation in their own way it you know it could be there's so many things that you can do and I, I think that's you know a testament to the, the bat conservation world so Hannah obviously we're in the middle of the coronavirus or COVID-19 pandemic uh, at the moment we're about a week into people social distancing each other how is BCT coping with the pandemic at the moment so the majority of us have moved to a system of working from home. On the helpline, that's quite unusual. We are usually all in an office together with our, um, you know, IT and phone setups that we need to run. Um, we have come up with some system. Uh, we're getting used to it. So we are very much open and available and here to help. But uh, your patience is appreciated while we sort of find our footing there. And what's it actually like to work for BCT on the helpline? Well, I love it. Um, you know, I've been there for five years and that's for a reason. It's really varied. It's, you know, you never know what you're going to get on any one day. Um, it's really good fun, especially the work that we do with volunteers. Um, that's always great. And we're such a good little team, I like to think anyway. Um, you know, we can deal with some really lovely back cases, but we can also deal with some really challenging ones. Um, but part of that, I think, is having a really great, dedicated and passionate team there, which you know, I'd like to think that we have. That was Hannah Van Hestren, one of the helpline managers from the Bat Conservation Trust. And if you'd like to make a donation to support the helpline, the link that Hannah mentioned is in the show notes below. And if the idea of caring for bats sounds like something you might be interested in, our next interview is with someone who's been doing it for a long time and might just inspire you further. The following interview with Gail was recorded back in February at a conference before physical distancing rules came in as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. So I'm at the 2020 National Bat Care Conference and I've grabbed a few minutes with Gail Armstrong who last September was presented with the Big Guest Award for her outstanding contribution to bat conservation and a lot of that was down to... Uh, bat care. Gail is well known in the bat care community for the amount of work that she's done over the years. How long have you been doing it, Gail? Um, I got involved about, I think it's nearly 25 years ago now, um, with South Lancashire Bat Group when I lived a bit further south. And when I moved up to North Lancashire, I just carried on, and because no one else was doing it then, I sort of had free reign. 1994, I got involved with bats for the first time. I, um, yeah, I went on a bat walk. I saw it advertised in the local paper. I thought, that sounds like fun. And I went along and um, got chatting, joined the bat group, started helping. Before you know it, somebody said, well, will you go and pick that bat up? And uh, there it just goes from there, really. And have you got any idea of how many bats you've cared for over the years? I do keep statistics, and I've used them a couple of times for talks, so I think it's about 
800, I think. Yeah, about that. Think about 80% of pipistrels. But in uh, my patch, where in North Lancashire, we get quite a lot of whiskered and brants, the small myotis bats, which are pretty rare in a lot. In some parts of the country, they're quite rare, but they turn up for us regularly. Um, and so we feel quite privileged because most of the rare species are down south. But I always think that whiskered and brants are ours. And do you have any idea why those species turn up more than the other? No, it'd be really nice to know, wouldn't it? Because we've not got liseless bats where I am, and yet the habitat is right, so... Yeah, very. Yeah, that's what I love about bats. Really, is that there's loads of stuff still to find out, and it can be ordinary people that will find it out. And for listeners at home who don't know much, what sort of reasons do bats get bought in for care? Okay, um, about half the bats that come in are just underweight, so they they might have got caught out in a storm, or they've only just started flying and they're just a little bit weak and can't get going again. So that accounts for at least half. Um, the next biggest category is cats, domestic cats that are allowed out all night uh, will hunt bats and they're very good cats at, at sitting very still for ages and then they only need to be lucky once. The bat's got to be lucky every night of its life and the and a cat only has to get one lucky swipe. There's three ways that cats catch bats. So the first way is, yes, they can get close to a roost exit and swipe at them as they fly out. They can... Um, they find them already on the ground and just take it home. But the third way is that they just sit really still and they watch a bat fly to, fro, to, fro. And they get used to that pattern and the cat's very still so the bat doesn't think there's a, um, a threat there. And then all of a sudden the cat will just explode up and it just needs a lucky swipe and it's brought the bat down, it's pounced on the bat and injured it and then it's made a right mess. <laughs> And if there are people at home who have got cats and they think or and, and know that my cat's bought a baton in the past, is there anything that those people can do to help bats? The, the single most important thing any cat owner can do is keep your cat in overnight. And I know people don't think that the cat won't like it, but they get used to it. And don't forget, of course, 300,000 cats are involved in road traffic accidents every year. They mostly happen at night, so it's dangerous for cats out there. Um, it is better for the cat and for wildlife if, if your cat's kept in overnight. And why is bat care so important? Does caring for that one bat actually make any real difference to the population? No, it doesn't, no. Uh, single bats don't make... Um, uh, we, we aren't making any difference to the populations. But, but the thing it does do is someone's decided to help that bat, so they think it's important. So if their bat is important, then all bats become important, and that helps conservation. Um, it also helps us identify roosts. So when we get a call about a baby bat, we know we've found a roost because it can't be far away because it's not able to fly yet. Um, so that helps us to talk to people and secure roosts, hopefully for the long term. Um, and also it gives us the opportunity to learn more about bats. It's amazing the things I think I've learned just from interacting with bats at that close level. So being able to take them in, learn how to handle them, learn how they develop from small to grown up, um, learn the differences between males and females and the different species and how they act, I think helps us to know more about bats, which also contributes to conserving them. And, I mean, is it quite often that when you come across a case where you found a baby bat and then you found a roost, do those homeowners, homeowners often then end up doing an annual roost count themselves? A lot of times that's, that's really important. We, uh, like, I know last year um, every baby bat that turned up was a roost we didn't previously know about and that must have been six or eight roosts that we found. 
and it, it, I still find it incredible that there, all those bats are out there and people will say, um, oh yeah, I think there's about 100. I've been, uh, they've been here a lot of years, you know, and, and they're not faced by it. And I think, I think the internet and Bat Conservation Trust helps with that because all that information's available. When I started Bat Care, you'd get a call and people would go, and they'd be almost reluctant to tell you that they'd counted bats coming out because they thought it was something dirty uh, and they didn't know where to go for help and advice. And we could, we could do that for them, but now all that information's there uh, and once someone's informed about the fact that actually bats aren't going to damage your property, they don't bring diseases into your house, they will come and go, they won't, the numbers won't multiply up, then, you know, they relax into it. And, and I, I think, don't think there are many times now where I go out to a, a roost and people are very anti. I don't think so. And are the public often grateful for the help when you go out and collect that and your bats? So, so that varies a lot. Um, and, and sometimes if the cat's brought it in uh, and it, if, the, if the bat's badly damaged, I do tell people, you know, this bat has been really badly injured by your cat and I'm going to have to put it to sleep uh, because I think it's important that they know that that's a consequence of their decision to let their cat out. Um, uh, a lot of people are really grateful and, and really will ring me for progress reports. They're usually the ones that don't make it, to be, to be honest. <laughs> but um, but if, if, I, if we do get one in and there was something wrong and we've made it better and we take it back and they see it fly away to live its life, then most people are, yes, quite pleased with that. How much work is involved with that care? And again, that varies massively. So it, we're less busy in the winter and it can get quite busy in the summer when we're getting three or four calls a day. But I have a good network of people who help with the back care, so um, we share the load and it never gets more than we can cope with because I think if it does get more than you can you know, get too much, then you won't do it for the long term. So you've got to pace yourself and you've got to um, do what you can when you can and not more than that because otherwise you're not in it for the long term. You'll give up because it's too much. So for me, it's not very costly and it's not that time consuming the, the most time is finding time in your day to go half an hour or an hour to pick up the bat because strange thing about bat care is most people think you're going to dash out there they don't think they need to take it anywhere and I'm not sure why bats are different than other creatures really in that regard but it, it does seem to be the case and we always do if we can we always do pick them up. For those people who are looking to get involved I guess that's something to make them aware of is that they don't have to worry about being inundated with a large number of bats if they just want to pick up that one bat I guess they can just do that one and be, do the amount that they're comfortable yeah. with yeah so for our uh, for my network yeah some people will only do one a year some people might go a couple of years but I still have them on my list because I, I just and they'll say oh I'm sorry I've not been a much help but you have because you're on my list and sooner or later you'll do you'll deal with the bat that I won't have to deal with so that helps me so I, the more people I have on my list, the happier I am. Yeah. And is it rewarding? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hesitant there. <laughs> it can be frustrating and sad, but it can be fun. To, to me, it's fun. And if it's not fun, you shouldn't be doing it. Because I don't think, in terms of the numbers of bats and what we're doing with them, it's very minor. And it doesn't, in terms of conservation, it doesn't matter whether we do it or not. So if you're not having fun, 
don't bother because that's what it's... Yeah, you're learning about bats. You're helping people or you, you're reinforcing that relationship with bats and people that, that makes people think bats are worth looking after. And you, you're, you're learning something doing it. And if people listening at home want to get involved, what's the best way for them to start that process? I would say join your local bat group and join BCT for sure. That's the most important thing. Start reading up the information, start going out on bat walks, buy a, uh, get a bat detector if you can. Um, and then if you want to get involved with bat care, then again, contact BCT. And you might, you know, you just do, certainly in my patch, you do as little as you want to do. Uh, and that might just be once a year you pick up a bat and you um, bring it to an, take it to another carer. So you can start small, and that's how I started. I don't really know how I got here, to be honest. Um, you start small and you uh, do as much or as little as you want to do. But whatever you do, it will be fun, it will be interesting, and it will be worthwhile. Gail Armstrong, thank you very much. And my thanks to Gail and Hannah, and indeed all of my guests from Series 1, for taking time out of their days to sit down with me and record their pieces. Bats are magical but misunderstood mammals. At the Bat Conservation Trust, we have a vision of a world rich in wildlife, where bats and people thrive together. We know that conservation action to protect and conserve bats is having a positive impact on bat populations in the UK. We would not be able to continue our work to protect bats in the habitats without your contribution. So if you can, please donate. We need your support now more than ever. To donate, please go to www.bats.org.uk forward slash donate. Thank you. And that's it for Series 1. We hope you've enjoyed the bat conservation stories being told in this podcast. If you've got a great bat project to talk about or story to tell, drop us an email at comms at bats.org.uk. That email address is also in the show notes. Bat Chat will return with Series 2 later in the year, so make sure you're subscribed to us so that you're the first to receive the episodes when they start going live again, and so that you receive any special bonus episodes before then. With Bat Chat, we're trying to reach bat conservationists all over the world, so if you know someone who's never listened to a podcast before, we'd love it if you could show them how to listen and how to find Bat Chat. If you can share this episode on social media, our hashtag is BatChat. Bat Chat is an original podcast from the Bat Conservation Trust. Our theme music is by Raphael Crooks and our artwork was designed by Rachel Hudson. The series producer and editor was me, Steve Rowe, and I'd like to say thanks to the communications team at BCT, to Joe Nunes-Mino for saying yes to this project and fully backing it along the way, and to Andrea Correa da Costa for her fabulous work in promoting us on social media and getting the episodes up onto the BCT website. And of course, a huge thanks to you, our listeners, for your ongoing support. Now, lots of you have seen me in branded t-shirts and hoodies with the Batchat logo on, and you've all been asking me when they'll be available. Well, we're thrilled to let you know that a whole range of Batchat clothing and tote bags is now available for you on our T-Mail store. The link's in the show notes. Whether you're a long-time supporter or a new member of the Batchat family, we can't wait for you to share your photos of you wearing our merch on social media. Be sure to tag the Bat Conservation Trust in your posts.
If you're listening to Batchat on Google Podcasts, we wanted to let you know that Google have announced they plan to discontinue their app later this year. So we recommend making the switch to an alternative podcast app. And we've put some links in the show notes to alternative apps that you can follow Batchat on so that you don't miss any future episodes.